You sit at a desk. They sit at a desk. You have sales reports. They have book reports. You need supplies. They need supplies. Business is a lot like school. That's why your small business should take advantage of back-to-school deals at Staples. Now, Staples 1-inch 3-ring binders are $1.92. One-subject notebooks are just $0.25, cents, and two-pocket poly folders are just $0.35 cents each. Make back-to-school your business at Staples. In-store only while supplies last. Offer ends 9-1-18, limit 30. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the often imitated but never duplicated Finsider Podcast. I am your host tonight, Chris the Earl. You can call me Duke. Um, your honorable host, Kevin, is unavailable tonight, so I'm filling in for him. We also have our uh, producer, uh, you know as Texas Cowpunk. He goes by James. James, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Duke? Chris? Uh, I'm not too bad. I'm trying to survive the trying to survive the heat wave. Yeah, I'm uh I'm pretty beat down by it here. It was uh it actually cooled off today. It was only uh, 107, so I guess I should be thankful for that, considering it was 110 yesterday. Well, the uh, good news is we're not uh, out there in in um, in uh, pads playing in it like football players. Although that could be a good thing if you yeah I don't uh, feel ho- 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 yeah yeah I feel bad for the. Uh, you know, for the for the high the high school kids that are out in this, it's pretty it's pretty brutal, I'm oh, yeah. sure. Oh yeah. But uh, we have some things to talk about tonight on the show. We have uh, a lot of topics. Uh, most importantly, uh, training camp started last week. Uh, at the air of the last podcast, all they had done is gone through the weigh-ins, physicals, and conditioning drills. On Friday, they opened up and actually started practice. So we've got a lot of notes to talk about there. Chad Johnson's back in the news with a colorful press conference, and we might even throw some stuff about the Olympics in there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We are uh, at present working on getting the uh, the uh, podcast post up on the Finsider so that you can follow along there. You can also follow along on Vlog Talk Radio. You can join in in the chat room. You can still join in on the live thread on the Finsider. Um, the normal... Twitter that you would uh, follow with Kevin. I don't know if it will be available. However, you can follow uh, either myself at, at the Earl 007 or you can follow James at, at Texas Cowpunk on Twitter. All right, so let's get started. The first thing that uh, and most important thing to talk about is the training camp. Uh, we've had a full a week of training camp. They had one day off on uh, Tuesday. Then they uh, they started playing, and there are a there are several uh, key things going on, and the first thing I wanted to kind of start out and discuss um, are some of the standouts from camp. As many of you know, if you've seen my uh, if you've seen my signature line on the Finsider, uh, you know that I am a big fan of Roberto Wallace. I've always been a big fan of the underdogs and undrafted free agents uh, who we picked up in 2010, I believe. Uh, who made the roster over um, Patrick Turner, who was a third-round draft pick. So far, of 
Most of the players in camp, Roberto Wallace has been the star of the camp with making big play after big play after big play. And I believe this is a huge deal for the couple reasons. One, he is a prototypical big receiver, 6'4", 230. Um, that, you, you know, if you can develop a guy like that, um, you have a, a, a weapon, especially for the red zone. You have um, uh, a guy with uh, that can go across the middle, make the big, make the big catches. Um, as an undrafted rookie, you know he had a long road ahead of him. But he worked hard, and from all accounts, by what people have been saying on Twitter and the different reporters, is that he's making, excuse me, big catch after big catch after big catch. Um, I think it was yesterday's practice. He had. Um, Three touchdowns, a five-yard inside the red zone touchdown, a 40-yard touchdown from Matt Moore, and a 79-yard touchdown uh, from David Garrard. He has also made some plays today. Um, As you saw on the Insider, there was a uh, post that said the Miami Dolphins quick hits uh, where he made a beautiful catch across the middle, uh, reports him making – one-handed grabs. So it looks, by all accounts, right now that Roberto Wallace is probably locked into that number four spot. If he keeps developing, he might get developed into a big-time playmaker. Uh, he's got the size and he's got the speed. So I'm always happy to report about that. However, he's not the only standout guy from camp this week. There are a couple others. Um, another uh, underdog guy that people like to talk about is Julius Pruitt. And uh, word from all the writers is that Julius Pruitt has been standing out, making some catches. He's had a couple of rough spots with some drops, but I believe everyone struggled with that this training camp. Um, Pruitt has was reported as being an what well, said an up man on the starting kickoff team, which by the reporters they said that, that bodes well for him, meaning that he is a big factor in terms of special teams. So he stood out. Um, another, it's not necessarily a player, this is an entire group, but, I, but another standout has been the defensive line. And for anyone who has been following the, the reports from camp this week, you've heard reports of Randy Stark, um, Paul Soliai, uh, Jared Audrick, Olivier Vernon, even Jamal Westerman getting involved uh, getting in the backfield, causing fumbles, uh, getting sacks. Um, I, I think it's especially promising that Randy Starks, I think, has picked up at least four sacks at this point, and he's playing from an interior spot. So it looks like this front four on the four-man front that everyone was you know, kind of wondering how that was going to turn out. Looks like it's going to turn out pretty well. We're getting some pressure. Now, you could take that as being um, – Maybe the offensive line is not playing as good. But I don't think it's as much as that, as much as some of the reports was that they were getting in the backfield. The quarterbacks might be taking a little bit too long. However, I think it's very promising that these guys are getting a lot of pressure. Uh, and when uh, the games start next week, uh, we're going to see how much pressure these guys can generate from the interior. So that's pretty promising. I mentioned Jamal Westerman um, from – all accounts, he has stood out this week in camp by generating pressure. 
I'm picking up a few sacks. Uh, and now most of this is done with the second team, from what I've read, but they have moved him into the first team on different packages. So it's going to be interesting to see how they use him as possibly um, as in a rotation with Olivier Vernon and Jared Audrick uh, for the uh, defensive end spot opposite of Cam Wake. Or they might use him as a replacement for Koamisi on downs that they wish to maybe use as a blitz or, or an extra rusher. And another guy, the final guy that I have on my list here as a standout, uh, for all of you fans of the U who will appreciate this, is Lamar Miller. Now, he is right now third on the depth chart. Uh, Daniel Thomas has played well. Reggie Bush has played like Reggie Bush. But from all accounts, Lamar Miller is playing at a different speed than everyone else. Sweet. They, um, uh, I think it was Omar Kelly said that today that he is more than likely going to be the return guy this year simply for the fact that he has the best wheels on the team. Um, he even said that he, said he plays at a different level, that when he hits the hole, he's got a second gear that other guys on the team just don't have. And uh, I remember when that draft pick came across, I was completely ecstatic because I did not expect him to be there. I did not expect us to get him. And when we did, I was like, you know, I'd seen him play a little bit. And I was like, this guy, this guy's got some talent. And uh, so I believe we're going to see him being used um, at least as a kick return role to start out with. If Once he picks up the intricacies of pass blocking, pass protecting, uh, he may leapfrog Daniel Thomas on the depth chart. And take it a step further, it's very possible that if he stands out as a running back and does all that, that Reggie Bush might then become expendable. So that's something interesting to watch. Um, <clears throat> on the flip side, we have what I call some no-shows, some guys that have struggled this week, some guys that um, have not put forth the kind of effort that you expect for whatever reason. And I think the biggest name on that list from camp has been Clyde Gates. Um, the reports were from the first day of camp, he was getting open with ease, uh, using his speed and um, elu- being elusive to get open. However, he couldn't catch the ball very well. Uh, and then later in camp, he suffered an injury. Uh, they didn't say exactly what, but he has been on the sidelines for most of the week. And for a for a guy who is on the bubble, he needs all the time he can get and all the reps he can get. So this kind of hurts his chances. Um, so when he gets back out on the field, he really really needs to show out if he expects to make the team. Um, another guy, a fan favorite of a lot on the um, insider, and you can kind of take that sarcastically, is uh, Brian Hartline. Uh, he, too, has been sidelined with an injury. He started camp. He was not at full speed, and he's also been – on the sidelines rehabbing. Now, he's probably not in jeopardy of losing his spot on the team. He's going to be on the team um, unless one of those other guys just steps up and blows people out of the water. Um, However, um, Chad Johnson took his place as a starter and uh, across from Legadu Nani and has stayed there. And if Carline cannot get back in the lineup, he cannot get back in there and and show that he can produce, then he may drop down the depth chart. And it's even possible that he could drop 
that if he can't go out there and produce and somebody like Roberto Wallace keeps producing, that he may drop below him on the depth chart. So I think it's important for Heartline to get out there. Another battle that people are um, paying attention to this camp is the safety battle. And Chris Clemens is slated to be the starter across from Rashad Jones. Um, Rashad Jones right now is locked in as the starting safety, free safety, strong safety, however that's going to go. Chris Clemens also suffered a bruised knee this week during camp and missed a couple days of practice. Uh, They substituted in Tyrone Culver and Jimmy Wilson to be his replacement. And those guys played admirably. Uh, No real plays of note to to make them stand out. However, uh, Chris Clemens' spot is not guaranteed, so he needs to be out there uh, practicing if he wants to maintain a starter position, a starter spot. He did join back out there today, is it today or yesterday? And so it looks like that they're wanting him to be the starting safety. So he's going to have to show that he's not an injury-prone guy uh, and maintain uh, his position as a starter. Uh, The other guy we talked about from last week is John Jerry. And if there was ever a no-show, it's him. This guy is buried on the depth chart as a second, third-team guy. They've tried to move him around left guard, played him at right guard, but he has not made a dent to uh, to even trying to oust Artist Higgs starting right guard position. Uh, and the Dolphins were still worried about the position, so they went out and signed that Eric Steinbach last week, and he's gotten some, he's gotten some reps as the right guard. So it's looking like John Jerry's time here is over. I did read a tweet that says that they're thinking about possibly moving him to tackle because of the, because of that might be a position better suited for him. However, right now we looked in trench with Jake Long, with Jonathan Martin, and Lydon Murtha. So unless he just stands out, it looks like John Jerry is off the team. And the final guy on there, and I don't really know if this would be considered a no-show, but I believe this is a guy that's He's got his work cut out for him right now, and that's Matt Moore. He started out the very first day of camp uh, with the ones. He was the starter, uh, but it was apparent to everyone that they were going to rotate between him and Garrard. And then once Tannehill got into camp and proved that he could could handle it, they were going to they were going to rotate him in as well. Matt Moore, as expected, has had some shaky practices, uh, and from things I've read, he's been behind some guys on the short and intermediate stuff. Um, been been taking too much time in the pocket, taking sacks, and fumbling snaps, which we know last year he struggled with fumbles. So it looks like right now that David Garrard is kind of locked in as the starter. Now I don't maybe locked in is too strong of a term, but I do believe that um, right now Matt Moore is behind him, and I don't know what the Dolphins intend to do with him. It's very possible that they could let him be the backup. But if Tannehill shows up in practice, keeps improving, plays well in the preseason games enough where they can say, you know what, we're going to let Tannehill be the second guy. I don't think that they keep Moore as the third guy. I don't know that they outright release him, but I think they try to move him. Now Moore could pick up with another team and be a starter. But at this point, he's behind the eight ball in that in that sense. There's probably only one or two teams out there 
that would use him as a starter right now. Most people have their quarterback position at least filled or have a competition for it with people they want. So if he wants to be a starter, if he wants to maintain and show that he can be a starter in this league, he really needs to show up and practice more than what he's been doing. Um, James, any thoughts on these guys? Any any players that you I would want to see stand I, out? If I'm them, I shop Jerry for anything I can get, including and up to a bag of peanuts. If, if I'm them with more, and you're, I think you're absolutely right, if Tannehill shows anything, you you uh, you need to shop that more because you can't, you know. I mean, I guess, I guess I guess if you have him there as your second or third string, it's it's not a bad it's not a bad thing to have, you know, a fairly decent QB insurance policy. But I would think, uh, you know, getting towards the end of camp, somebody's backup's going to get injured or somebody's going to feel like their backup isn't, you know, that they picked up or that they have isn't adequate. And as a, as a backup, more be pretty, you know, he's probably better than two-thirds of the backup QBs in the NFL. So I would think that he could probably bring you a, you know, a decent fourth-round pick. And I think if he's just going to sit on the bench here, you got to move him. Yeah, and I think the big key there is is, is how they feel about Tannehill. If they think if, – if they're going to – Keep the mentality of we're not playing him at all this year unless we are 0-10 and the season's done, we've got nothing else to lose. Um, I think they would play him then if, if that's their mentality. If, but from what I've read is they say this is a wide-open battle, and if Tannehill can come out and outshine these guys, he could start from the very first game. I don't think they're against that. So if he shows up enough in camp – and in the preseason to say, you know what, I'll play backup to David Garrard, but I don't need, you know, I'm out playing Matt Moore. I don't think you keep Matt Moore on the bench, um, you know. And it's, it's nice to have to have him as a backup, as a veteran backup, as we saw last year. Um, and, you know, there's always David Garrard's back injury to worry about. You know, what happens if he goes out in the first game, gets hit, uh, and he's done for the season and we're five minutes into the season, yeah, it'd be a good time to have more then. you say, well, we're still going to keep Tannehill on the bench. We'll let more start now. Um, but if that doesn't happen, you know, you don't want him sitting there week after week after week, uh, at least for his sake. You know, you think I could get something for him. And with the trade deadline being moved back this year, I think it's week eight, that uh, they can hold out a little bit longer and hope to, hope to get something for him. So that's going to be an interesting situation to see with with Matt Moore there. So, but he's going to have to step up in camp. Um, and we all knew he was notoriously bad at practice, but he was a gamer. Um, but I don't think that's going to sit well with this, these guys. I think hold on one, hold on one second, Rick. Okay. Okay. Never mind. <clears throat> all right. I think these guys want precision. I think these guys want uh, accuracy. They want leadership. And so far, uh, David Garrard has stood above everyone in that respect. Um, I think Tannehill's got the leadership ability. I think Tannehill's got all that intangible stuff. He's still working on the mechanics of the NFL game, speed, catching up and all that. So that's going to be interesting. Um, Speaking of Ryan Tannehill, as of this time last week, Ryan Tannehill was not signed by the Miami Dolphins. He did sign later uh, in the weekend. 
a, after a two-day holdout, the main part of the holdout was not for necessarily money, but for um, the Dolphins wanted some offset language in there. His agent did not. Um, the NFL has been pushing this offset language, and it, you may be familiar with and you may not be. The What offset language is, is that if a team signs a player and then they release him before the end of his contract, if they don't have offset language in there, whatever guaranteed money is owed to that player follows him to the next team, and he gets to sign whatever contract that team offers him. So say, for example, Ryan Tannehill had a $5 million guaranteed for the final year of his contract. We release him. There is no offset language in there. He signs uh, with the Chiefs or somebody for another $5 million deal. He essentially makes $10 million for that season. The Dolphins paying $5 million of it, and the Chiefs paying $5 million. With offset language in there, what that does is he still gets all the guaranteed money. It just depends how much the Dolphins guarantee. And so in that same example, let's say the Chiefs sign him for a $3 million deal. Well, Ryan Tannehill still guaranteed $5 million. The Dolphins would only owe him $2 million of that. And that has a lot of cap ramifications. And, you know, a lot of fans are already – they're kind of on, on edge with – with Jeff Ireland a little bit. Um, you know, I think he's getting some positive reviews and fans have kind of turned it around. But, you know, when something like this happens, especially when Andrew Luck and RG3 and all the other people around him had already signed their deals, and here he is holding out, the one guy that you, he needs to be in camp. And people are like, you know, all this is Jeff Ireland, you know, trying to, you know, be a hard guy and not, and not give in. Um, but the Dolphins... Uh, have put in offset language into a lot of their contracts. I believe Carlos Dansby is the only recent signing that didn't have that in there. Yes, and every, so every to... I'm sorry. sorry every I read I read every contract over the last you know couple couple three seasons, other than Dansby's has included that. That's that's their standard operating you know procedure, and that really should be every team's if you think about it. It makes sense. And I, I believe. Uh, the word is that the NFL actually wants uh, teams to, in, especially for rookies, to include offset language. Uh, so the NFL really pushed this. I believe some of the other teams just gave in and said, you know what, we're not going to deal with it. Let's just go ahead and get our guy signed and get to camp. Uh, so if you think about it in that respect, the Dolphins actually, uh, Jeff Allen actually won that battle. He got what the NFL asked of him, uh, and he did not uh, give in and do something different that he hasn't done for other players. Uh, and I've got a, I've got some um, I've got some um, notes here about how that contract was um, was was created. What they did to create that offset language. Basically, what they did was they turned some of his base salary into roster bonuses if he's still on the roster by the sixth day of training camp. So instead of having a large base salary, for example, in 2014. Excuse me. His base salary is $1.541 million. With the contract that he has now, his base salary is $570,000 plus a $971,682,000 bonus if he's on the roster at the sixth day of training camp. So, in effect, if we cut him in 2014, we only pay 
$570,000, and then he gets whatever money he gets from a contract he signs with another team. So it's just they restructured some things in the contract to make it palatable to both what the Dolphins wanted and what Tannehill's camp wanted uh, to get him signed. And I think it's a good deal. Um, My initial thought on it was I really didn't think it was that big of a deal for the offset language, and my main reasoning for that was this. He's going to sign a four-year deal. I think all first-round guys get an option for a fifth round or a fifth year in that, sorry. So we gave Chad Heaney four seasons. All right, Brian Tannehill is your is the first first-round quarterback that we have drafted since Dan Marino. Um, surely you're going to give him four seasons to show he can do it. Now, there are other reasons like injuries or whatever, and he just doesn't cut it. But, I mean, Chad Heaney showed just enough to stay on the roster, just enough to stay on the roster to finish out his rookie contract. Surely you're going to let Ryan Tannehill do that, um, especially if he's going to get possibly a red shirt year. So, in my opinion, it was kind of a moot point because I was like, you know, you gave that guy four years to show what he could do. You have to give your first-round pick the same kind of leeway. Uh, how did you feel about that, James? Um, I, I sort of agree unless – I mean, and you know this happens sometimes. These guys come in, and if he's just bombing after the second year, they might look to move him and draft someone else. You know, I mean, you never you never know what's going to happen, um, especially if he, say, plays two years bombs and, um, you know, Ross comes in and cleans house, you know. Who, who knows what would happen. But uh, I think we all pray that, that nothing like that happens and that Tannehill's the real deal or, or we're going to have to, you know, suffer through this much longer than we than we hope. But but at that point, too, you know, maybe maybe you can trade him, you know, you can trade him to somebody because there's always somebody that thinks – they look at a guy like him and they, well, well, he's got, you know, he's got all the physical tools. I can do something with it. There's always somebody out there that'll, that'll take a chance on him unless he's, you know, unless he just falls off the wagon. He's out there doing something stupid, which I'm pretty sure he's not that kind of guy. So I, I think I think yeah. we're gonna be safe either way. Yeah, and he's only on the hook for 2.1 million dollars in the final year of his rookie contract. So even if he doesn't pan out. You're paying him less to be a backup than you're paying Matt Moore right now, who could possibly be a backup. And he started out last year as a backup. So yeah, because yeah, because the average for backup what's running three to five mil, a lot of you know for decent <laughs> backups. So that's yeah, that's <clears throat> not that's not absorbent. Yeah, and and I know it's it's kind of it's got that factor of like you drafted this guy. If he doesn't pan out, he's not the guy. You don't really want him on the team anymore. But if he's at least good enough to be a backup, keep him on the roster until his contract's up. It's cheaper than going out and signing, you know, uh, Travaris Jackson or somebody of that ilk for $5 million. Right. And going on with Ryan Tannehill, he he got into camp. He started playing. Uh, He started out with the the second string and the third string guys. Looked pretty well against those guys. Uh, made some good throws. I believe there was one. Uh, there was one throw he made to Roberto Wallace. It was like a 40 or 50 yard touchdown, big huge pass. Uh, when it was completed, the crowd erupted. Uh, so a lot, a lot of the crowd uh, when camp first started, there was reports that 
uh, it was a very thin crowd, not a lot of people out there, uh, less than usual for a Miami training camp. When Tannehill was signed, the crowds came back in. So it's obvious that people were out there to see him. And so far, he's not disappointed. Uh, he's made some plays. It seems to be that he struggled uh, with with the blitz, uh, with blitzing, and with extra pressure. Uh, when there was protection, he was on the money, making passes all over the field, specifically out routes. Um, reports were that he was throwing the ball with Chad Pennington type accuracy with Chad Heaney-type arm strength, uh, which is always promising. They said there was some struggle with some of the in-breaking routes, posts, um, and things like that, square ends and such. So uh, he's got some work to do there, and that was a knock on him coming out of college. Uh, whenever he uh, – that was one thing I remember Mike Mayock saying was that on, out, on out-breaking routes, he was, he was on the money. On in-breaking routes – he didn't necessarily trust his eyes sometimes and trust what was going on in front of him and he kind of would throw behind the guy or um, or throw kind of inaccurately to his receivers. Uh, he has struggled with that a little bit, but it, it appears he has improved on some of that in camp. He got his first chance today to run with the first team, and he, he did okay from the fourth. He had one completion, a fumbled snap, and two handoffs to start with. And uh, I didn't read anything else about any more, uh, any other plays from the first team. Uh, the big thing there is struggling with the pressure. And it, it appears that that's going to be, I guess that's part of that whole speed of the game deal, where uh, he's going to have to get used to the fact that, you know, we I think we've got an improving offensive line, but they're not going to be able to, you know, five guys can't block seven guys or eight guys. And we're playing the Jets in week three, and Rex Ryan dials up one of his exotic blitzes. You know, can Tannehill make the right call at the line of scrimmage? And when he sees that pressure, can he make the right throw? Can he get it to his uh, hot read? Can he get it to his check down? And reports are that he was struggling with that. I think that's something he will overcome. So it's not something to completely worry about. But uh, by most accounts, Ryan Tannehill has. Um, has played well this week in camp. Uh, enough to show that there's some promise uh, that the Dolphins haven't had in perhaps a while. So, um, and if you go to the Finsider, you will you can see the post is up now. And as uh, James has put in there, please call in. So uh, I don't have the number in front of me. It's up here on the top of the screen. It's a three four seven three two six nine four six one. Call in. If you have a question, want to discuss something, uh, if you have anything, um, have anything on your mind that you would like to uh, tell us about. Got any callers in yet, James? No, sir. It's it's just you, man. You're rolling, though. You're doing good. <laughs> well, thanks. I am uh, still got lots of stuff to cover. There's, uh, you know, I and that's one thing I admire about uh, Kevin is how we kept the show going. All of those weeks when there was absolutely nothing going on, um, there's all kinds of stuff going on now and stuff that people want to talk about, people are interested in. Uh, I believe this Dolphin fan for life on the site was want to discuss wide receivers, you know, the wide receiver battles. There's so much stuff going on now, so I, I admire him for being able to keep the show going when there was absolutely no news on. Right. Uh, 
one? Yeah. Going that right into it, there's the – we talked about this a little bit. Well, it's with the quarterback battle. Uh, it appears right now Gerard's in the lead. Moore's um, kind of struggling a little bit. Now Tannehill's throwing his name into the mix a little bit. Um, James, what when when we first signed Gerard, what was your initial reaction to that? I wasn't I wasn't real happy because I think I think like most fans, I hoped that you know Flynn was all that the media had made him out to be. That you know he was the next coming, you know the next great quarterback out of Green Bay, and that we were going to be able to slide in there and just take this guy because we had his coach and, you know, he was ours. He was basically, and I think that's still true. He was ours for the taking. He took the Seattle offer, not because Miami didn't offer him something. It's just Miami didn't offer him very much. And so I was, you know, I think I was let down by it, you know, like, Oh, here's Gerard. He's at the end of his career, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, I I think looking back, we were going to have to way overpay for Flynn and, the you know the truth is we have the coaching staff who knows what he is you know they 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 looked at him every day in practice they saw him every day in camp they knew more about him than anyone so if they chose not to offer him you know big money then uh, I assume he wasn't all that and given that Gerard was probably a, a great choice as a backup especially given that he that he's you know he might be better than more. So I think I've come yeah. around on it. Yeah, and I think I agree with you that I think that a lot of the fans were only um, let's sign Peyton Manning and or Matt Flynn kind of bandwagon when free agency started. Uh, you know, the first the first big thing was we traded Marshall. Once fans kind of got over that and thought, well, that's all right, we can we can sign Reggie Wayne and get uh, Peyton Manning to come down here. Then when things started to fall through, Peyton Manning went to the Broncos. We weren't in the weren't in the race anymore. People were like, well, there's still Matt Flynn. And not everyone was as high on Matt Flynn. Uh, but, you know, like you said, there was that thing, of, well, he's played well and the opportunities he's had. This coaching staff knows him. If they want him, they know he's the real deal. And then he goes to Seattle. You add on top of that all of the negative stuff coming out in the media, how – Peyton Manning shunned the Dolphins, and now uh, Matt Flynn shunned the Dolphins, and even Alex Smith shunning the Dolphins. Um, and all of a sudden, it's like Gerard, it's like this. You know, we just had to settle for this guy. He's the only guy that would sign with the team. And, uh, I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that with that assessment of it. I believe, you know, they tried to sign him last year, and then, he, you know, he sat out with the back injury. So I think Ireland kind of knew that this is a guy that I want for the team, and I think he does fit what Joe Philbin wants to do uh, with the um, with, in that system. So I, you know, I was kind of I was okay with the, with that pick. I knew at that point that we were going to draft quarterback fairly high, um, just because I'm, you don't go into a season with Gerard and Matt Moore and and nothing else. Those guys aren't. You know, those are stopgap guys at this point, unless Moore turns the corner. And if if you if you think Matt Moore is going to turn the corner, you don't go out and get David Gerard. So, uh, but I like the signing, and I think it's going to work out. I think he's going to surprise some people. I don't think he's going to play like Chad Pennington did, but I believe he's going to play 
Similarly, uh, if our receivers come around, I believe this is going to be a guy that is going to, is going to be safe with the ball. He's going to protect the ball. He's going to let our run game help us out and going to get us in position where we can score some points. Uh, and if we can do that, if Garrard can, can do that and let our defense play up to the ability they're capable of, I think we're going to surprise some people this year. And uh, speaking of that, is you know I, I saw on the NFL Network this evening that J.J. Um, Watt suffered a dislocated elbow in practice today. Um, you know the one team that we have can't beat it seems like is the Texans, and now it seems like that those guys are dropping like flies. It seems like uh, Andre Johnson went out with an injury. Uh, their left tackle Dwayne Brown went out with an injury, and now J.J. Watt, uh, their um, star defensive end from last year, has uh, gone out with an injury. So. You know, who knows, maybe things are, are opening up for the Dolphins to uh, to make a run this year. Um, how do you think, James, how do you how do you feel about the season? Uh, how do you feel about um, our, our chances with, with, with the season? Man, if, if, if we won, honestly, if we won 10 games, I'd be thrilled. Because I don't, it, it's not, it's not that I have low expectations. It's just, you know, I think the defense is going to be fine. I think, I think. I think you can come in and change the defensive scheme, and the defense can pick that up easier than it is to just install a whole new offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got you know a new quarterback probably starting, and a new offense with all new staff. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we'll play all right. I, I think they're going to win some games, and you're right, we'll probably surprise some people. Um, I never count Houston out. You know, they've got some guys dinged, and you know, but somebody was. Somebody was saying, well, Andre Johnson, you know, he tweaked his knee. I'm like, I'll take Andre Johnson at 50% over most of the wide receivers in this league any day. So, you know, it's all it's all relative. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I want to, I want to see what, I want to see what their health is, you know, a week before the season starts. I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, what, what it yeah. looks like now, you know, we're a month, month and a half out, so. Yeah, I just I just saw that today, and I'm, you know, I don't I don't buy into the idea that oh this is some kind of sign or something, but uh, it's just, you know, it seems like it, you know, people are just even fans, Dolphin fans are, are just kind of like yeah we're not going to be that good we're not going to be that good, and then I go and look at the schedule and I see, I see Houston which you know right now they're they're a hurting team, I see Oakland, the Jets, uh, the Cardinals. A Bengals team that did not beat a team with a winning record last season. Uh, the Rams, uh, the, the Colts, who had the first overall pick. So I'm seeing a lot of, of teams on our schedule. And when you look at it, there's only really three games out there that you look at and say, man, I don't know that we have a chance to win that. And two of those are New England and the other San Francisco. All the rest of them, I think we have a chance to win. Uh, and that's 13-3. Oh, and we could we could be that you know every every year there's that team that's sort of that Cinderella team, and uh, but you know it's it's easy for fans you know I think I think we all fall into this trap of looking at the at the schedule at the beginning of the year, and 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 we we try to we try to determine who's a who's an easy foe and who's a hard foe based on what they did last year, but we all know there's going to be two or three teams at the bottom that rise to the top or 
near the top or, you know, are pretty good. And you're going to have two or three that are near the top or, you know, you know, above middle of the pack, pretty good teams, they're going to fall. And so you never, mm-hmm. you can't ever look at the schedule and know. You never know. And, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's reason for optimism. I mean, I'm not, I'm always optimistic. I'm not, not, not as much as when I was a kid and we had Marino and I just knew we were going to the Super Bowl every year, even though it, yeah. you know, it only happened that one time. But, uh, you know, and my soul was crushed for months. But, uh, <laughs> dude, I was 14 yeah. then, man. I just, and I just knew, you know, I knew. Yeah, it was, we weren't winning. We weren't, there was no way we weren't going to beat San Francisco. I just knew it. Yeah, and those, uh, and man, and the league was so different back then. And and uh, you know, and I see this a lot of times when people say, "Well, Marino didn't never won anything." I thought to myself, you know, if Marino played, if the 1980s Dan Marino played in 2007 or eight, uh, there's no way he doesn't put up 5,000 yards almost every year. Um, with the way rules favor receivers and quarterbacks, I mean, you can't breathe on the quarterback now without a flag. Um, and Marinos, in those days, you could practically mug receivers as they were running routes. Now you can't touch them either. So um, he was just—he was ahead of his time, and that was—it was awesome to watch. And, and the fact he only went to only went to one Super Bowl is kind of a travesty. And uh, but and I always kind of thought it would be neat if the Dolphins ever made the Super Bowl that they would just sign Dan Marino to like a one-day contract just to let him play on the Super Bowl team. Um, I don't know how cheesy or lame that would be, but I would appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be nice to see him get a ceremonial, you know, Super Bowl ring or something. Just yeah. I don't know. I mean, why would that be cheesy? I think it'd be it'd be brilliant, you know. Especially especially if you could get the league office to give you a, you know, an extra man waiver. Like, hey, we're going to sign this guy. He's going to be on the roster, but he's really not. I mean, he's like sixty years old. He's obviously not on the roster. Not that Marino's sixty, but he's he's pushing. <laughs> so Yeah, and and what's sad is even now he's probably better than now currently better than most of the guys that we've started since he retired. So hopefully that's all changed. Um Limey Finn on the site has asked a question and we are going to talk about the Olympics in a little bit. But he says there's been a lot of talk about football being in the Olympics this week. Which current Dolphins would make Team USA? Um, so, James, what current Dolphin do you think would have the best chance to make an Olympic team uh, for the U.S.? Wake and Reggie Bush. Just, I agree with just that. Off, just off, I mean, they're, you know, they 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 are or should both be considered superstars of the position, even though I don't think everybody realizes how great Wake is yet. Um, I would also add Jake Long into that. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Long would probably uh, be most coaches' pick at that position. So, uh, and you know, you brought up something interesting there about how you know we've kind of said that Wake is like a. You know, he's our star. We know he's a, a good football player. But, you know, other fan bases and other – and the media hasn't really caught up to it, to it as much. However, I've, I've noticed a lot 
uh, here recently that whenever they talk about the Dolphins, um, do anything about the Dolphins, that Wake is prominently involved with all of that. A prime example was that um, little uh, bit they did on the NFL Network with Solomon Wilcox where they went into the practice facility and Wake showed them around. Um, I'll be right back, Carl. So I, I got some callers for you. Hold on. Okay. So uh, I'll continue with that. And I think that uh, Wake is getting some recognition um, around the league. And uh, as he said, we are going to get some callers here in just a moment. If you want to call and talk to us, uh, the phone number is 347-326-9461. Call, and James will place you into the queue, and you can talk to us about whatever is on your mind. All right. I don't think he's back yet. So um, you can also, uh, if you're not listening now, you can go to Blog Talk Radio Look up the Finsider. You can follow us there. You can uh, talk on the chat room there. You can also talk on the Finsider podcast live thread. Uh, you can follow um, Kevin at the Finsider on Twitter. You can follow James at, at Texas Cowpunk. And you can follow me on Twitter at, at the Earl 007. Um, so um, let's see who, who our first caller is going to be tonight. I'm still not there yet. Tell me. So. Hey, Chris? Yes. I got Dolphin Fans for Life on uh, on hold. I'm about to bring him in. He wants to he wants to talk okay. about wide receivers. So, That's a good deal. Without further hey. ado, here's Dolphin Fans for Life. Hey, guys. How are you tonight, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, my... My thing is, is with all this talk about wide receivers coming in and, you know, kind of showing themselves out and having good camps and everything and Heartline not really being able to, I don't know, maybe set himself up. I mean, obviously we've got Marlon Moore has been catching passes as of lately. Roberto Wallace has been shining throughout camp. Julius Pruitt had the the three touchdown reception has been made, making a couple of catches. I think today they said something about Richard Matthews and um, haven't really been hearing things about Fuller, but I mean, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Legidu Nene. Yeah. Or whatever Nene. his name. Yeah. 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 Um, he's been shining throughout camp. Of course, best has been best. Um, where does that put Heartline? And, I mean, is it just safe to say that he's either a cut casualty, a trade bait maybe? I mean, Green Bay's um, Green Bay is talking about trading James Jones. Uh, and there's a possibility there for some added depth, somebody who's actually worked with Philbin and company. Um where does that leave him? I mean, I just I just don't see a roster spot for him. He went from one to none because he can't stay healthy this offseason. Yeah, and, and that's a very a very good point. Um, you know, when when you're talking about uh, guys like Roberto Wallace, Marlon Moore, Julius Pruitt, you know, you're talking about that 
four, five, and six range kind of guy for receivers. Um, Hartline came into camp as the starter. He was the starter, um, I believe, from the first day. They said that I guess they used three wide receiver uh, sets because they said the starters were Bess, Hartline, and Nani, which Nani was kind of a surprise for me. But from reports, he's been he's played very fast. Uh, he's shown good hands, and he's a good route runner, and played well throughout the the, the mini camps and stuff. So he earned that starting spot in, in training camp. So it, it appeared that Hartline was the guy who was going to start across from Nani. And then he gets hurt, or I don't want to say gets hurt, but he's not fully recovered from the calf injury that he suffered uh, whenever. So they threw in Chad Johnson. So back to your point, you know, if this to, to put him on the team, you know, you're looking at a guy that's going to fight for a starting spot, a guy that's going to, um, you know, he's got he, he he's has proven production over guys like Wallace and more that that much. So if he can't make if he if he can't solidify a spot in that top three with Nani Johnson and Beth, if those guys stand out in camp to where you know those three guys are going to be your main three targets, now you're looking at Hartline being in that four, five, six spot. So you're saying, I, does Hartline have more potential than, say, a Roberto Wallace or Marlon Moore? Um, does he, he doesn't have the speed that Clyde Gates brings to the table. He's not as good on special teams as a guy like Julius Pruitt. So, you know, it is it is very interesting what's going to happen with him. And I think they want him to, to get in the starting lineup. I think they want him to rehab. And I believe he's a good enough receiver uh, that he can produce, but if he can't stay healthy and he falls behind, um, you know, it's going to be tough to see where you put a guy like that, uh, and especially this is his contract year. So you think he'd want to come out and produce a lot so he can earn a contract. So um, yeah. that's a very good point that he's, he's falling behind some guys that he doesn't need to fall behind right now. I still think he's ahead of guys like Moore and Roberto Wallace simply for the fact that he is proven uh, more proven than those guys and more experienced. But if he can't get ahead of the other guys and those guys, they move ahead of him on the depth chart, it's possible we could, he could be cut or traded. I don't know, but it's going to be interesting. The only other, answer, how I see, the only sorry, other answer I see is putting him on the pup list. I mean, but then we lose him for eight weeks, and that gives other players to shine. You know, hey, but, Chris. This is yeah. Kevin yeah. Thompson. All right. Hey. Um, um, well, uh, on the pup, on the pup list, on the pup on the pup list piece, because he wasn't put on it to start training camp. Hardline can't be put on it now. So uh, okay. I I I think I don't see him not making the roster. But I think you're dead on with the he may not be starting this year. We all thought he was going to be a starter, and if he can't get healthy and stay healthy, he may have just worked his way out of the starting job. Yeah. Um, I think that it's probably – Beth has been the best wide receiver in camp so far. 
So he's obviously one of the two starters. Um, I think having heard everything, it, I personally, I don't like the knee, not for anything that he's done, but because he's just never given me that wow factor that I would want out of him. He has the potential. He's just never done it. So I, uh, I, I don't see him as the starter, although from what coming out of camp, it sounds like he very well could be. I think Johnson's going to play a role in there. So on a three, if we start with a three wide receiver set, that may be the three. Nani, Johnson, and Beth. And Hartline may just be on the bench at least to start the season. Yeah, and and with and 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 with guys, other guys that are playing playing better in camp. And it's all going to come down to preseason. I mean, if if he gets if Hartline's healthy in preseason and shows up in the games, you know he'll take that job away. But if he starts falling behind those other guys, then um, you know it, it's not so much maybe losing a roster spot as much as just losing touches. Here's a guy that we were expecting to get, you know. 80 to 90 targets this year, possibly. Now he's going to be getting 40 or 50 targets. Yeah. Especially especially on an offense that is looking to spread the ball around. So if you yeah. lose that starting position, you're going to suddenly see your your touches drop dramatically. I yeah. could actually see it to where he could be like Chad Johnson was for the Patriots last season and only see about 30 targets. It, it could end up that way, especially if he can't get healthy through training camp. He's got to be, by the time we're, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt of the first preseason game, but come the second preseason game, if he's not healthy enough to at least get on the field, it, it could be a very big problem for him. And it's not so much being healthy to get on the field, but not playing at full speed. Right. I think right now this is more of a precautionary thing um, than just he's hurt because uh, from what I read from uh, on Twitter and things is that when he was out there practicing, he was just at a slower pace than everyone else. And it was obvious that he was not 100% and could not play at 100%. Right. So, uh, you know, if he's out there and he's limping around on the field, you know, that's not going to do any good for us. So I, I think for him he's got to be 100% healthy and he's got to show up and say, you know, he's got to steal that starting job. I thought especially that basically that same thing that he's finally starting to move around. He's finally starting to look like a receiver again, but yeah, he's nowhere near ready to come back because he's just not up to speed yet. Well, I mean, his specialty, I mean, is the sideline catch. Yeah. And from what I've been hearing out of training camp, that's been like one of the big things about Roberto Wallace is that yep. most of his catches have been on the sidelines. So, I mean, with that, too, it just looks like there might just not be enough touches for him if he can't get up to speed, especially yeah. with Philbin wanting this high-octane high offense. He's got to get there fast if he's going to have a chance. Yeah. And and one thing about Nani that uh, you mentioned, and um, living here in Panthers country, you know, he played for them last year and didn't really do great. And I was talking with a good friend of mine who's a big Panthers fan, and he said, he said, it just seems bad if Nani starting for you. He said, all I remember from him was he was dropping passes last year. Um, but he, it appears from camp he's not doing that. But we got to discussing, he played for the Chargers under uh, Rod Chudzinski. He went to Carolina, played for the same guy. Well, they have a very vertical 
passing offense. And it is very possible that he's a better fit in a West Coast, you know, more of a horizontal passing offense. So it may be that he just was ill-suited for their offensive schemes, and that's why he didn't produce as much. Coming here, he may produce more. So that's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind with that. Yeah. I know you said mentioned it's about 10 o'clock, so I better get off this phone. <laughs> Thank you for calling, Dolphin Fan for Life. Yes. Thank you very much. Well, guys, um, from what I heard of the show, I just want to say thank you for taking over and running with it today. Sorry I ditched it on y'all. <laughs> well, it was fun. Uh, we still didn't get to Chad Johnson and his colorful press conference. And we still didn't get to the Olympics. I had this whole list of stuff I plan to talk about. So <laughs> it was better than I was expecting, so. Um, um, I will. I will. The, I will say that on the Olympics question about which Dolphins fan, which Dolphins players would uh, make an Olympic squad, I am so disappointed in James for not saying long right away. I know. I don't know what I was thinking. You're and you're absolutely right. He's, he's probably the best at that position. So I don't know how you overlook him or how I overlooked him. I, I mean, you're, you're not wrong with you said uh, Bush and Wake. I mean, you're not wrong. They'd probably be on it. But as soon as the words came out of Chris's mouth, I went, Jake, Jake, bleh, Jake Long. And then you didn't say it. And I was like, whoa, wow. <laughs> my, my my defense is that I've, I've just spent eight hours out in like 105-degree weather nailing pickets to uh, a new, you know, up for a fence. And not so drinking not, water. <laughs> I actually did drink water. Despite, despite what... <laughs> What I sent you in the text, I was drinking just water. <laughs> Inside jokes, always good on radio. Yes, I'm sure everyone else is enjoying that. <laughs> but, uh, I did not see, for the record, uh, if you want to give it to us a little bit, Chris, unless you already did on the show. Today's been a crazy day, so I didn't see Chad Johnson's uh, press conference. I saw little tidbits that... He's back to his old self, both on and off the field and stuff, but I didn't get a chance to read anything. Well, I've got some stuff I printed off, and I actually tried to watch a little bit of it on um, the other Finsiders video on the Miami Dolphins website. Uh, And this is just kind of the highlights. Um, But he was wearing black fingernail polish, and they thought that might be because he's trying to get attention for hard knocks. They asked him about it. He says, I was hanging with Gene Simmons during the off-season a little bit, working on some music that him and I were doing. I was somewhat of a rocker, hippie, smoking weed, S like that. So um, there's that quote. And that's not a, and, then, and then they go a little bit further. Painting fingernails is part of rookie hazing. He says, I'm not into rookie hazing, sir, but I'm doing what I am doing is I'm taking all the receivers on our next day off. I'm taking all of the young guys to Tootsie's. Now, I've never been to Miami. I don't know what Tootsie's is. But I believe it happens to be a strip club, if I'm not mistaken. So there's that. Sounds like he's having um, fun. Kevin, yeah, uh, you're in the Army. What's Tootsie's? I don't know. I haven't been to Miami very much. <laughs> I'm going to uh, go with the good guess there that uh, Chris just had. And I'm sure somebody on the site is probably screaming at the – speakers right now if that's wrong <laughs> it's probably correct 
<laughs> and the best, it, the best it's quote, probably like a candy store or something, and we're just reading way too into it. <laughs> well, the only reason that I guessed that was because I read like a, a little snippet of a of a of a headline that said Chad Johnson talking about um, you know smoking weed, going to strip clubs, and then following up with his the final quote here it says, "What if you don't make the team?" He says, "I'm always looking to a second job, thinking about going into porn." People laugh. Says it's not funny. I got to earn a living. I'm being serious. I mean, that's what I would do. Interesting. And, and they and then they ask, "Wouldn't your wife mind?" He's like, "I don't have the exact quote, but it's something in the nature of, you know, she has to deal with it. I got to provide." So. <laughs> so uh, but along those Jason. lines, uh, Peter King was in town, and um, he was on that same. Uh, the other insiders talked to him. And uh, they asked him, I said, you know, people have this perception of Chad Johnson. When they watch Hard Knocks, what are they going to see with Chad Johnson? And his quote was, they're going to say, man, this guy's actually serious about football. He's not just a clown. So I thought that was interesting coming from him, who is a guy that covers, has covered football for a long time, understands it, is that we see this Chad Johnson was talking about smoking weed and doing porn, what we don't see and what we're going to see in Hard Knocks is the guy who actually goes out on the field and busts his butt to play as hard as he can and make the team. So I thought it Exactly. Was yeah, and the other thing that I saw that uh, Peter King said was uh, that this is absolutely the fastest training camp he's ever seen since he's covered, started covering football. So it's not just the players saying it. There are people that actually have been around football for years that have just looked at it and gone, wow. So that that makes me happy. I love the idea of this fast training camp for the for the simple reason um, I was interviewed by a uh, radio station um, up in Tennessee today, and that was one of the questions they brought up. Not that I'm trying to sound all big and everything, but uh, that was one of the questions they brought up was, um, "What do you think of this fast pace? Is it something we'll actually see in the games? All that kind of stuff." And I said, "The the." The greatest thing I love about the fast pace of training camp is the fact that it gets our guys in shape. And that's what it is. I mean, when that sun comes beating into Joe Robbie Stadium or Sun Life Stadium or whatever we're calling it next week, which it may have actually changed its name more times than Chad Johnson Ocho Cinco. But Kevin Nugle Stadium. <laughs> when the sun starts beating into Joe Robbie and our guys are used to running 90 plays a game type speed. When we slow it down because of the sun, we're still going to be in better shape than the Patriots or the Jets or whoever else we're playing in that heat. Yeah. And one of the things that I think Peter King mentioned along with that is that by having these practices go so fast, guys that are on the roster bubble who would normally get, get, I think he said, you know, these guys before, if they were lucky, would get 10 snaps in, in, in practice, are now getting 30 and 40 snaps in practice. So these guys that are trying to make the team are actually getting more opportunities to show what they have. Uh, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to take the show long just because I wasn't here, but I think you're, I think you're right on that because um, the. 
I, I've never heard of a team running two full teams out there at the same time. The offense is on one side of the field, and the second team offense is on the other side of the field. Same field, just on the opposite side of the 50, doing the exact same drills. So, yeah, rather than running an offense out there and the coach is just sitting there watching that one offense and then running the second team out there, they're doing it all at the same time. And they're all covering down and watching everything. So I think you're right. I think the number of snaps that are available, and we make a big deal out of which quarterback is is throwing passes with the first team. And it was big news today when Ryan Tannehill got his first shot with the first team and he ran like four plays. But I think that's it is that, you know what, he may not be with Mike Pouncey snapping him the ball and Jake Long on the side, but he's still over there on the other side getting snap after snap after snap. Or David Garrard or Matt Moore, everybody's getting snap after snap. So there's plenty of training to go around, even if it's not necessarily with that first team. Yeah, and everybody's getting a chance. So that, I think that's the main thing. I mean, before, you know, these guys that were, you know, we talked about the receivers and stuff, but look at these guys like, um, what's his name, Jacques Smith, who's a defensive end, undrafted guy. Uh, some of these undrafted guys, some of these late-round picks, Keaston Randall. These are guys that are on the you know, third team that would be getting 10 snaps previously. Now these guys are getting a lot more snaps. Uh, so it's giving it's giving the coaches more opportunity to see exactly what these guys have. And I think the coaches are going to make the best decision on what players to keep so that, you know, we're not going to see this, oh, we cut a guy, he goes to play for the – he goes to play for the Raiders and becomes a, a pro bowler uh, because, you know, we didn't give him enough snaps in camp. I think we're going to see exactly what these guys have to offer or as much of it as we can. And if they get cut, it's because they really weren't good enough. It wasn't because that they were buried on the depth charters. Yeah. Um, Jason Scott, before we do in the show, Jason Scott put in the, the live thread that first off, it is a strip club. It's advertised all the time on WQAM. So there's the answer to that. Um, he also put a link to the uh, full interview, um, about almost to the bottom of where the comments are right now. So if you want to watch the full interview, and I probably will, there's a uh, link to it there. And the thing he said was, one of the questions he was asked is, can he still play? And he answered, are you watching? Have you been out there? I'm fast as I won't finish yeah. over it, though. We'll get Ohio on here to finish the word. Love you, Ohio. I don't know if you're listening. <laughs> but. Well, uh, before we go, I did want to discuss a little bit about the Olympics since that is a big sports event going on. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe after today that Michael Phelps has 20 medals, which is far more than anyone else has ever gotten in the Olympics. Uh, do you think he is the greatest Olympian of all time? He's up there. I don't know if I would say it. I My wife is a swim coach, so I know all about Phelps. I watched him for years, all that kind of stuff. So I, I know what he does and what how he swims. And I know there's a lot of discussion that he's been a failure this year. Or he's not as good as he was. But at the same time, his peak Olympics were supposed to be last Olympics. So he then came out, found all this stardom, is a 23-year-old kid as of the end of last Olympics, 
What would you do if you were suddenly thrust with eight gold medals and said, hey, you're the biggest star in the U.S. right now? Of course you're going to go have some fun. And he made stupid choices, but he went and had fun. And he probably didn't train as hard as he could have for these Olympics. But it doesn't really matter. Is he the greatest? I don't know. You could put um, Thorpe up there. You could put – I heard somebody on the radio today point out that – was it Florence Griffith Joyner should be in there? Mm-hmm. Um, there? There are a few others that you could very well put in there, and I know I'm forgetting people. But I, the the thing that um, the thing that gets me going when I hear all these discussions is that well, self shouldn't be in consideration because in swimming you have so much of an opportunity to win so many more medals. And I turn around and think, well, then why didn't anybody else? I mean, if there's all this opportunity, you would think that there would be swimmer after swimmer after swimmer pushing all these. But there's not. Phelps is the guy that's up there doing it. He passed, I believe he passed a gymnast in making it up to the record of most medals ever. And then the only swimmer that was big because of winning medals was Mark Spitz. And he passed him last Olympics. So if if it's such an easy thing to do, which people try to seem to want it to be because Phelps has won it now, then why aren't there others that have done it? But yeah, that, I agree. It's it's the it's the sheer uh the sheer dominance of it. That in an event that could be wide open that he has just completely um you know, completely dominated those events and, and got all those medals. And most of them gold medals. Uh, you know, it's not just, you know, 30 bronze medals or something. I mean, he's yeah. earned a bunch of gold medals. So he, he excelled. His silver, his silver from a couple days ago was the first silver he's ever gotten in the Olympics. I mean, that's something. When he has 20 medals now, and one of them up until I think now he has two, but one of them was silver, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think it's just one of those events, you know, that, that you know, since I watch NASCAR, that they talk about Jimmy Johnson winning five championships in a row. Uh, you know, the people want to, you know, it's this whole idea of this just sheer dominance. You know, here's a guy that's, you know, yeah, it's not just he's winning some medals. He is beating people uh, at everything and winning, and he's done it a bunch of times, uh, you know, over – you know, this is third Olympics now or something. So, you know, it's not just that he's winning medals, he's dominating. Uh, and so that, you know, I think it's got to count for something. More so than these people that, well, this, this person won medals, but they won three gold, three silver, three bronze. You know, he's winning gold. I'm looking through a... Um countdown right now of the top Olympians of all times. And, I mean, there are some on there that, yeah, they're obvious choices. Um, It has at the top, I I don't think these are in the order that they would pick them. They might be, I don't know. But it puts Phelps number one, Alexei Nemov number two, gymnast, Usain Bolt at three. Again, I don't think these are in that order, but I think this is just the random order they picked them in. Um, Florence Griffith Joyner, Nadia Cominci, Bruce Jenner, 
Natalie Coughlin, Muhammad Ali, Carl Lewis, Mary Lou Retton, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Greg Louganis, Mark Spitz, Michael Johnson, and Ian Thorpe. So, I mean, and you could debate it because, I mean, look at this. Let's see. Most of these are 1980s or more recent. So we're completely ignoring. I think there were, what, two that were in the 70s? Bruce Jenner was 76, even though now he's more famous for being a Kardashian dad. Um, but yeah, and and, and and a lot of times on these lists, you see people list uh, Jesse Owens. Yep, from the 30s. So yeah, and see, yeah, in this list, not even on there, Jesse Owens. Um, Greg Louganis, he won four or five medals, but he's on the list. And granted, anybody that can bash his head and then go win a gold medal anyway, I'll give him a credit for it. But and then. One, the one that I like to use is, okay, everybody says that um, swimming has all these options, but so does track. And granted, a sprinter is not going to go run a marathon, but you don't see somebody running swimming the 100-meter freestyle out there then doing the 800 or 1,000 meters and so on and so forth, 1,500 in swimming. And Michael Johnson, I mean, he was, he was on the uh, 400 – and the 200-meter runs, and then he also was on the 4x400-meter relay. And he did that in two or three different Olympics. So, I I mean, there are other sports out there that can get you multiple medals, and still Phelps is the only one to do it. But Hey, guys, guys, I hate to interrupt, but we've got a caller, and we've got about – 15 minutes left, so I'm going to go and bring Jason Scott in. He wants to talk about Chad Johnson. Okay. Jason, you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Hello? Can you hear me? Hey, hey, Jason. Welcome to the show. Hey. Um, we're all getting ready to go down to uh, training camp. We're going to see the, uh, pre-se- or the scrimmage on Saturday, and then we're going to stay Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and watch some pre-season or some practices. Um, but I did want to talk about the interview with Chad Johnson. Uh, a couple things I liked that I heard him say, he, he kind of mentioned that he grew up right in Liberty City, and he, he just said, you know, I can't sail here. This is, you know, not at home. And he also, uh, another thing that I thought was funny was he told, uh, Matt Moore had asked him something like, uh, where are you going to go, or where, where he was going to go to eat lunch? And he goes, I don't know but I bet you I'll be open. So it's just those kind of things. And he, he... <laughs> I'm, I'm good at that answer. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, you know, he's, he's that alpha receiver, you know, I mean, he's, he's, and he seems, he seems driven. Um, he seems like, uh, you know, he's trying to learn everything he can. Um, he mentioned uh, being in, uh, New England, he said uh, it was hard. I, I learned a lot, basically. Um, he learned to keep his mouth shut, he said, and he said he didn't think he could do that, but he he did it. And, um, you know, he was trying to learn everything he could from our receivers, and he was trying to pick up pieces from everyone's game. And, you know, he just seems like he's really driven, and that with the fact that he's been calling or um, been putting on Twitter to have everyone that he could get throw to him, I think that's probably, you know, he seems very driven. I think 
that page, those two Patriots games, I can't wait to see what kind of numbers he puts up against them. And I think in general, I think we got a good steal there for a veteran minimum contract. I agree. I, it, it's a low-risk, high-reward type thing. And yeah. I, I love the move because – exactly because of that home town part. He wants to prove that New England was the fluke. It was an aberration. It was not the rule. And he's going to go out there and do what he has to do to prove it. And in front of his home crowd, he's only adding more pressure. Somebody else in the league would have signed him. But he chose to come to Miami because he wanted to come home and play in front of this crowd. Now he's putting the pressure on himself to go out there and perform in front of that crowd. So that should be a good thing. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I like the fact now that we have Lamar Thomas, or I'm Lamar Miller, and right. uh, Bert, Olivier Vernon, and we have him. We have three people that grew up here or grew up in Miami, and, you know, we've had that problem with a home field advantage. I think we have that home field advantage back, you know, a little bit, at least with them, because they're playing for their home. Yep. I you think don't get you're from, think, you know, Michigan. I really think you're going to see the home field advantage start to come back for the Dolphins, both with the people they have, with the attitude and the excitement that's there because of the new coaching staff and all that, plus the fact that the team is opening up more and talking to the fans more. And then finally, exactly what you said. There, there may not be – I mean – Sure, Reggie Bush is a name that somebody in Washington State or Maine or Nebraska is going to recognize, whereas even Cameron Wake may not be. But Vernon, Miller, Johnson, these are people that at least the people in Miami have seen, they know. So it is. It's going to draw fans in, especially if they start doing well, and then – We'll get a bigger fan base that's actually supporting the team. Yeah, yeah. first time Lamar Miller takes one of those, uh, takes a kick off to the house. Uh, fans yeah. don't want to show up. Yep. And I also think the offense that we're running fits perfectly for those 1 p.m. games in, in Miami because, right. I mean, not only are we going to wear them out just with the weather alone. But on top of that, we're going to run hurry-up offense all game long. Exactly. And I know Armando wrote about it on a piece that he's worried because a hurry-up offense takes precision, and Tom Brady can run it because he can throw with precision. And Oh, I know. And Peyton Manning can run it because he throws with precision. But with our quarterbacks, are we going to have the precision to be able to do it, or are we going to be turning the ball over right away? or having a one-minute possession of three and out and get our defense right back out there, and they're going to be exhausted, and they're never going to get a chance to rest. And my point How is, much, um, yeah. if, if you go, hmm, our defense is kind of tired. Maybe we should run some clock this possession. How hard is it to do that? Right, you exactly. go the other way very easily. You can't run the Jets offense and suddenly become a spread-the-ball-out, hurry-up offense. But if you are set up to be that, you can always turn around and go, hey, Daniel Thomas, run the ball. Hey, Daniel Thomas, on second down, run the ball. 
hey, Daniel Thomas, on third down, run the ball. Oh, we went three and out? Oh, well, at least we got our core, our uh, defense some rest time. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that – We could whole... always slow it down however we want to. I mean, we don't have yep. to – we don't have to snap the ball with 30 seconds on the clock. Exactly. We can choose when to do it. We're just setting up to do that as a standard. And then we can yeah. slow it yeah, down yeah. when we need to. And I the good thing is when we were – Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, another thing that I like, you know, I like about this is we are um, when we were most successful with Marino, we mm-hmm. ran only pass. I mean, it, it was only passing game. And I, mm-hmm. I think if we, you know, and, and early in the season we would always do really well. I think, you know, I think if we go to this hurry up and we're we're running it, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of precision to run a slant route. Yeah, especially not if they're tired. Yep. You know, if the other team's tired, and, and that Miami Johnson, is going to get on them, and that's going to be the end. With Johnson and Beth sitting there, we're going to be killers on the slant route. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So yeah, and then we're going to throw to Reggie Bush from the from the backfield, Lamar Miller from the backfield, Charles Clay. We've got all these other. Uh, well, I hear that Tannehill doesn't doesn't throw to Charles Clay very much. But I think the uh, I think Gerard will, will be able to find him pretty well. But, yeah, right. I think Jason. I'm sorry, sorry to, uh, the guy, by the way. Off. I'm sorry to have to cut you off, but we are about to hit our uh, cutoff time. So okay. make sure you call in next week. We'll keep talking, and uh, we'll keep expounding we'll we'll on what we're to talk about. Yep, especially uh, given that in five days. We get our first shot of uh, hard knocks. So that's sweet. But, Plus, I'll have uh, three three days of preseason to watch, or yep. yeah, training camp. Yeah. So, all right. Talk to you guys later. Thanks, Thanks man. Bye. Hey, uh, before we do uh, close out the show, need to remind everybody tomorrow is uh, Mailbag Friday. If you have not sent in your question or you wanted to ask a question tonight and didn't get it in. Make sure you email me. Just send me whatever your question is. I'll put together the show tomorrow and publish it. Um, but right now, the majority of the questions that I've gotten were pre-Tannehill signing and about his signing. So I don't have a lot of questions that are applicable right now, so there's a pretty good chance of your question making the show. So make sure you do that. You can find my email address anywhere on the site. All you got to do is click on my name and uh, – I'm on the bottom of every single page on the site, so it can't be hard to find me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but again, guys, thanks very much for filling in for me tonight. I'm sorry to have dumped it on you last minute, but you guys did a great job. Oh, well, thank you. I uh, I enjoyed it. So. <laughs> hopefully, the hopefully the listeners uh, listeners enjoyed it as well. You want to take it over from me, don't you? I see how it is. He, he Chris did a good job, and I and I'm. I'm almost thinking he can talk more than you, Kevin. Nice. We yeah. could have some good shows then. We could go hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, Especially if you throw Keith, if like you throw Keith that, in the mix. Yep. So. Uh, well, yeah, we still didn't, nobody, we still didn't get to the to the Chinese badminton team doing a suck for luck either. So. <laughs> <laughs> the Colts didn't get kicked out of the league, so. <laughs> 
But you guys have a good night. Listeners, thank you for listening in. We'll be back next week with another live show. Make sure you join us on the Finsider and comment all week. And we're trying to keep up with all the news as it happens. So thank you all, and everybody have a good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.